0: The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of sowing and reaping. Now, this is a very fundamental principle in agriculture. A farmer knows that you reap what you sow, where you sow it, And generally, if you have a successful crop, in greater abundance than what you sow. If you don't reap in greater abundance, then there's really no sense in sowing at all. That's the whole purpose. But of course, we want to talk about this in a spiritual sense. So keep that in mind that even spiritually speaking, in our daily lives... We reap what we sow, where we sow it, and in greater abundance than we sow it. I always think about the text in Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7 that says, They have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Now when we think about sowing, we need to keep in mind that not only do we uh, reap more than we sowed in a positive sense, but that also applies negatively as well, because they have sown the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. So as we consider this subject of sowing and reaping, as it pertains to our daily lives, I want to begin by uh, dismissing a couple of things that are often misunderstood about this subject as it pertains to our lives. You remember I said that we reap what we sow, where we sow it. A lot of people in the religious world don't understand that principle they believe what you sow here will be reaped in heaven or hell now i'm glad it's not that way and i believe we can prove it clearly by the bible first of all notice in first peter chapter one and verse 18 Peter says, For as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we notice there that we are redeemed. When you redeem, you pay a price and you get what you paid for. He says, we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So you have been redeemed, you have been bought back to God by the payment of the precious blood of Christ. Notice also in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 9 And verse 12, let's begin with verse 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now notice how similar these two passages are. In Peter, he says, we're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Here he says, uh, we've obtained eternal redemption as a result of the blood of Christ. By his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And then look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, referring to Christ. It says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. In Hebrews 1.3, it says, He hath by himself purged our sins. Right. It amazes me that people can read all these scriptures which are particularly referring to the offering of Jesus Christ that he made to God for our sins. He shed his precious blood. The Bible says in doing so, He obtained eternal redemption for us. He says he by himself purged our sins. This is what uh, was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. And then someone will say, well, I I believe all that. I understand that, that Jesus has made salvation available. See, that makes null and void everything Jesus did. When those priests made sacrifices, the people weren't a part of that. The priests went into the holy place and made an offering to God, and the only concern was that that offering be acceptable to God. And aren't you glad that before you even uh, were in this world, before you were born, before you were conceived in your mother's womb 2,000 years ago, Jesus shed his blood and obtained eternal redemption for you. So we don't need to then say, well, now here's what you need to do. Here's Here's the decision you need to make. Here's a way you need to live. Uh, you know, the Bible says you're going to reap what you sow. You see how how much contradiction you can develop if you don't rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. Somebody may say, well, yes, all that's true, but you got to be baptized. Yes, all that's true, Jesus made it possible. In other words, if it wasn't for Jesus, you couldn't meet the mark. But because what Jesus did, you can meet the mark, and if you'll maintain it, you'll be saved. You see, all of that robs Christ of the glory of what he did. It doesn't involve you. He saved his people from their sin. You're going to reap in heaven the consequence of what Jesus did for you. Aren't you glad that the things you sow can only be reaped in this present world. I would hate to think that there's being a a log kept in heaven of all the things I do here and then how much I'm going to enjoy heaven for eternity is going to be gauged based on my performance here. I'm glad that when we get to heaven, we're going to be blessed and enjoy heaven based on the fact that Jesus says to the Father, I shed my blood for this one. They have been redeemed. Their sins are washed away. They stand justified in your sight. To be justified is to be declared righteous. To be just is to say things are right between you and God and you were justified by Christ. So you don't reap in heaven what you sow in earth. You reap what you sow in earth in earth. It's here. Thanks be to God we can't corrupt our inheritance. If we could we would. But Peter said we have an inheritance which is incorruptible (coughs) undefiled and fadeth not away. Anything I do is corruptible, defiled, and fadeth away. And I'm glad heaven and my enjoyment of it is not based on how I live here in this world. Secondly, as we recognize that we sow what we sow, where we sowed it, it's important that we understand that it's not a one-to-one ratio. Right, right. It's not a matter of, okay, you did this, so God's going to mete out this degree of punishment. Let's see what the scriptures say about this. First of all, notice in Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. Psalm 103 and Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Now, I hope you can relate to this that I've often experienced. Though I sin every day, and though I have to come and ask the Lord for forgiveness every day, I'm glad I can say when I'm alone, and it's just me and the Lord, I can say, Lord, you know I fear you. Why would I be confessing my sin in private if I didn't fear the Lord? You know, you may do things before men, For the praise of men. That's what the Pharisees do. But a child of God that confesses his sin in the closet, so to speak, who confesses his sin in uh, private, is one that is doing so because he fears the Lord. That's his motive in doing so. So notice this says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities, for, listen, As the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. See, though you sin day in and day out, God knows your heart. And if He looks at you and says, here's someone that fears me... When they sin, it bothers them. They want fellowship with me. They want to walk with me. They they don't want to live out their life under the consequences of disobedience. You see, this text says, uh, So great is his mercy toward who? Them that fear him. Now, notice in Psalm 130. Verses 3 and 4. If thou, O Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Now I want you to consider that fourth verse. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Well, you know, I would think at first, well... uh, if, if God's uh, forgiving, then there's no need to fear the Lord. But the lesson here is that we can fear God in a reverential, respectful way. But it's not a slavish fear. It's not a a fear that horrifies us. No, there is forgiveness with thee. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. So we can fear him in a healthy way. We can reverence him knowing that he loves us and knowing what verse 3 says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? See, I don't come to the Lord thinking, and you don't need to come to the Lord thinking that He's going to judge you uh, uh, with a one to one ratio based on your sin. He is very, very long suffering. And then look at Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Now when we think about sowing and reaping, we need to keep these three portions of Scripture in mind. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. We need to understand that if the Lord should mark iniquities, who shall stand? And we need to remember that He hath not dealt with us according to our sins. There's a scripture in the context of one of those portions of scripture, I believe it's there, that said, He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are but dust, or that we are dust. God knows how frail and helpless you are a lot better than you do. And He knows how that you're in need of mercy. So we need to have that in mind. We sow, or rather we reap what we sow, where we sow. And we need to remember that when we, that God is very, uh, Long suffering to us. You may say, brother, buddy, well, you, the the text you uh, read from Hosea says they have sown the wind and they have reaped the whirlwind. That's speaking of a long term, blatant, ongoing disobedience. When God ultimately chooses to bring judgment on a nation, so you reap what you sow in greater abundance than you sowed it. When God, after much long-suffering and mercy and grace and kindness must ultimately bring judgment on His people, then you sow in, you reap in greater abundance than you sowed. But as far as your daily life is concerned and your struggles as you are trying to serve the Lord, recognizing you let the flesh get the best of you, probably a few times every day, God is very long-suffering to that individual. So let's now look at a few verses that address this principle of sowing and reaping. One of the clearest ones I know of in the Old Testament is in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now here he's addressing uh, the nation of Israel, and he's telling them that the consequence of their behavior will be reaped in terms of natural blessings or natural curses. He says, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the lamb. Now keep in mind that oftentimes what applies physically or literally in the Old Testament has a parallel spiritual application in our lives today in the church. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. As long as God's people in the Old Testament obeyed Him, feared Him, they didn't uh, resort to idol worship, their crops and their land produced abundantly. You know, they had grapes, you remember, they spied out the promised land, and it took two men to carry out clusters of grapes. Well, God would have been pleased to bless them that way indefinitely if they had always been willing and obedient. And in like manner in your life, when you're willing and obedient, God will bless your life. But then by the same token, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now again, this is speaking of a people that had kept on, kept on rebelling against the Lord. A people that when obedient, enjoyed uh, prosperity that we probably can't even imagine. When you think about the way the crops produced... In the land flowing with milk and honey. But he says, through ongoing refusal and rebellion, you shall be devoured with a sword. And there's many examples where the enemies destroyed God's people. That is, God suffered them to take them captive and and do much harm to them because they refused and they rebelled. And notice the end of verse 20. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. This is very similar to the point that Brother Chris was making on Sunday night when he talked about those were the scriptures in the New Testament referred to things as faithful sayings and worthy of all acceptation. When Paul refers to something as a faithful saying, That doesn't mean that everything else he said is unreliable because he didn't say there were fateful sayings. He's simply making greater emphasis now this has already been proclaimed in Isaiah chapter 1 as the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. This was the vision God gave him. But notice the special emphasis here. He says, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Sowing and reaping is a principle That you can't avoid. Thank the Lord. When you sow to the spirit. You're blessed. But also if you sow to the flesh. You're going to reap. What you sow. Where you sow it. You know. Think about years ago. We don't hear as much about it today. But I very well remember. When AIDS. The AIDS virus. Was on the forefront. And the pastor of my church made this statement. He said, he was preaching on virtue. Virtue, which has to do with upright living, moral living, moral excellence. And he said, virtue will cure AIDS. But then he stopped, him, then he interrupted himself and he said, no, virtue will stop the spread of AIDS. Right. Now notice the difference. If you you start living virtuously, that doesn't cure AIDS. If you've engaged in behaviors that are contrary to the word of God and you you, uh, are infected with that disease, repentance will not remove the disease. I mean, God can do anything he wants to do, but I'm talking about the general way that God operates. You are reaping what you sow. But see, living in a godly way will stop it. Stop the spread of. Somebody says, well, are you saying that AIDS is a judgment of God? Well, let's think of it this way. A man and a woman who marry as virgins and remain committed to each other aren't going to have those problems. Now, you can interpret that however you want. If you do it God's way, there's no room for contracting uh, sexually transmitted, transmitted diseases. But let's look in Galatians and you'll find the same uh, principle taught. Galatians chapter uh, 6, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived, don't fool yourself. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You know, there are some sins of the flesh that it's very obvious that it has a corrupting influence on the flesh. Have you ever looked at any before and after photographs of people that have been on meth? I've seen several where it would be a, a beautiful young girl and then they would show her two or three years later and she looked like walking death. See, sin has a corrupting influence. And that includes the way we treat our bodies. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to his spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Now notice that didn't say, he that soweth to the spirit reapeth eternal life. It didn't say, he that soweth to the spirit reapeth everlasting life. It says, he that soweth to the spirit reapeth life everlasting. You see, the word eternity has two components. One of the components of the word eternity is never-ending. But another component to the word eternity has to do with the quality of one's life. Now, when the child of God gets to heaven, that's eternal life. It's unending, and it also will have the highest degree of quality because there won't be any sin in heaven. Now, while you live here in this world, you already possess eternal life in terms that it's everlasting. Once God quickens you of His Spirit as one of His children that has already been redeemed by His precious blood, once He quickens you of His Spirit, you stay alive spiritually. The book of Ecclesiastes says it this way, and I can't recall the particular location, but there's a a scripture in Ecclesiastes that says God has set the world in their hearts. You know what that's saying? That's saying God has set that world to come in their hearts. When you're born again, God has set that world to come in your hearts. Heaven is already in your heart. Eternal life is already there. But the problem in this world is we may not enjoy as good a quality of it as we could. Because it is measured out in quality based on our behavior. Because it says, if we sow to the Spirit, we shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting." Now everyone in this room knows that you don't enjoy your spiritual life the same all the time. You know that if you behave yourself, you enjoy it a lot more than you do when you're deliberately disobeying God. You don't lose it. Heaven's still your home. Why? Because you're saved by the precious blood of Christ. You're saved because he offered that to God and God accepted it. That's why you're going to heaven. And the reason you'll enjoy it as much as anybody else there is because when you, when you leave this natural world, that old carnal man dies. You, you're not bothered with him anymore. And you're with all the saints of God. And there's not going to be any many, uh, mansions and shacks in heaven. You know why? Because everyone's going to be there casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus. I don't know how anyone could ever think that, well, I'm going to get a special appointment in heaven. If you see yourself for what you are and understand how holy God is and how it's only by his grace that you've got a home in heaven and all, you'll never think that way. Rather, you'll, you'll be thinking if there are rewards in heaven, I'm going to get less than anybody else. That's the way you ought to think about it. If you think there are rewards in heaven, that you're going to get less than anybody else. But it's not that way. Not gonna be anybody claiming that they got somebody else there. It's gonna be total worship of the Lord who saved us from this present evil world. They that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Now let's look at one more passage. Did you know that even if we've sown to the flesh? And we're reaping of the flesh. We can always repent. And God will repent. Now you say brother buddy wait a minute. God doesn't repent. The word repent. Simply means to turn around. To change direction. God doesn't repent from sin. I understand that. But God will turn his judgment around. If we turn our behavior around. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7 we usually hear verse 14 notice verse 13 if i shut up heaven that there be no rain or if i command the locusts to devour the land or if i send pestilence among my people you know what a pestilence is a disease if i send a disease a pestilence a virus. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you whether the Lord sent the coronavirus or not. The point is, if there is a problem like that in the world, here's the solution. He says if he sends the pestilence, he says if my people, he didn't say the population in general. He didn't say if you can convince everyone out there that doesn't believe in God to believe in God and then start praying. He doesn't say that if you can persuade wicked men that have no fear of God to start praying. That's not what it says. This is to God's people. If my people which are called by my name, my people that identify themselves with my name, if they will humble themselves. You know what it means to humble yourself push yourself down you know some people have the attitude well humility is just something you're passive in god humbles you well he can humble you anytime he gets ready to jesus said whosoever fall on this stone Will be broken. If you humble yourself, you'll be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. If God gets ready to push you down, He don't have any trouble doing it. But here He says, it's far better to humble yourself. Push yourself down. Say, Lord, I know I'm prideful. Lord, I know I'm not of the right attitude. I know I'm being selfish. He says, if my people will humble themselves, and pray. That's not a difficult solution, is it? That sounds sort of basic to me. When there's problems, whether it's in your own life or your family life or the church or the nation, if my people called by my name will humble humble themselves and pray, A lot of people stop right there but you know you need some you need to know something about god don't you some people say well we're all working to get to the same place i heard somebody say this well except for the grace of god we'll all make it to the same place we're all working to get there aren't we we're working hard to go to the same place but thanks be to god he'll overrule our works and will be judged based on the work of Christ. He says humble yourselves and pray. You know I've experienced this and I'm sure brother Chris has. If people know you are a minister they're very likely to call you to offer prayer at public gatherings. But usually it, after the prayer, there's no further seeking of God. A lot of times it's just that which is expected. You know, there's, I don't know that I've ever prayed at a public gathering and then after that someone came up to me and began discussing the things of God. I don't know that that's ever happened. But here he says, humble themselves, pray, and seek my face. In other words, I want to find out something about God. This is not just a routine exercise. He says, seek my face. When you seek the Lord's face, you're going to familiarize yourself with Him. You're going to know who He is. And the only way to know who He is is to read uh, what uh, the Bible says about God. This is the revelation of Himself. This is the only revelation you have of God available. This is the way you seek His face and turn from their wicked ways. If you don't seek God and know what wickedness is, how are you going to turn from it? See, there are a lot of people that that pray, but they never uh, see what pleases the Lord and what displeases the Lord. Oh, we we just want to get along with everyone. You see, if you seek the Lord's face, you're not going to get along with everyone and turn from their wicked ways. You say, that can't be a child of God. Listen to this. Isaiah 55 and 8. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord for he will have mercy upon him and unto our God for he will abundantly pardon. You can't return somewhere you haven't previously been. He says the wicked You and I, we can be very wicked in our behavior. Let the wicked forsake his way and let him return unto the Lord. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then. Not before then. Not before you turn from your wicked ways. Not when you pray. See, a lot of people like that recipe. We need to humble ourselves and pray, and then God uh, will hear from heaven. No, He'll hear from heaven once you learn about His ways and turn from your wicked ways. It's only after repentance that He says, I'll hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin. You say, wait a minute, brother buddy. You said we were forgiven of our sins in Christ. We are. What he's saying here is he's going to lift the consequence they deserve in this world for their behavior in this world. Remember I said that, you don't, that God is very long-suffering when it comes to reaping what you sowed? This says, yes, you've, you've done that which is wicked, but when you turn from those wicked ways, God will forgive it. In other words, He won't hold it against you anymore. And that's a temporal application in this life. And will heal their land. Our land needs healing But you know, America is not the modern-day Israel. You can't take the Old Testament as it's written to Israel and say this is written specifically to America. The principles certainly apply to any nation. Any nation that fears the Lord will be blessed. But you know, the most parallel application is the church, the spiritual Israel. God's people, they need healing. They need spiritual healing. They need healing in a lot of areas of their life. So humble yourselves, pray. <laughs> seek his face. Turn from your wicked way, and he will hear from heaven. Forgive your sin and heal your land. In Isaiah 5:11, he says, Seek you the Lord while he may be found. You know what that says? There may come a time when he cannot be found. And again, that's talking about in your experience here in this life. Seek the Lord while he may be found. He goes on to say, call upon him while he is near. So I would encourage you to do those things and lay hold on eternal life. Oh.